Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. Being a real estate investor at a young age too, people would be like, who, who are you? Where's your husband? You know, where's your brother? You're it obviously can't be you. Yeah. And so I started, you know, with an SBA loan, uh, starting my first business brick and mortar, you know, there's, there was no internet learning how to market, learning how to advertise, learning how to balance payroll and lead teams. Um, when every single person I hired was older than me, yeah. um, it gave me a lot of experience and a lot of confidence to then really start wanting to diversify wealth and starting investing in real estate state um, when I was 20. So I started my my first uh, flip. Um, it was supposed to be a long-term hold that was $23,000. It was a foreclosure. And I realized that I hated being a landlord while I was trying to build businesses. So yeah. I, you know, that's what I love about real estate. There's so much flexibility and there's so many different verticals that you can be in. And it's important to try a bunch of things to really find out what you like. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I've got another great one for you, a really great guest that I managed to land. Uh, her name is Candy Valentino. She is a sought-after speaker and guest and uh, mentor. She has uh, archi she's been the architect of many different companies. She started at the age of 19, uh, started building businesses, and has built and exited many businesses. She's a real estate investor, just amazing, amazing person. And I was really excited to be able to get her on the show. Uh, we had a great conversation. I think this one is well worth your time for sure. Candy was, like I said, she knocked it out of the park. Super transparent, super helpful, great actionable advice. This was an A-plus uh, interview in my opinion. So without any further ado, I give you Candy Valentino. All right, Candy, thanks for being here. I appreciate you being on Just Start Real Estate. It's a real honor to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, again, thanks for doing it. I I always sort of like cyberstalk my guests before I talk to them because I I despise people who clearly don't know who they're talking to when I'm listening to a podcast. And um, wow, super impressive. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. I think since you were 19, if I remember right. Um, just building businesses, building foundations, raising money, selling businesses. Just awesome, awesome resume. And it's all over the place. Like we're mostly real estate investors here on this, you know, the listeners, but you you are 
in all kinds of industries and just honestly a super impressive uh, resume. And so talking to someone like you who has a diverse background and a very successful background, it's a lot of fun because you can talk real estate with the best of them, but you can also pull in uh, wisdom and experience from other industries. And I think sometimes real estate gets really incestuous with their ideas and their strategies and how they do things. And having someone who's done real estate, but also been successful outside of real estate, super fun. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Awesome. Thank you. I am too. So for those of us who didn't cyberstalk you today, uh, <laughs> can you can you tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, just briefly, kind of your background and some of the highlights? Yeah. So I, like you said, I started my first company when I was 19, uh, basically had uh, started going to college because I thought I wanted to be the first person in my family to get a college degree. My dad was a mechanic, had an eighth grade education. My mom cleaned houses, had a 10th grade education, had to drop out to have me. So I had teenage parents, super young, grew up in a trailer on government assistance when I was first born. And so, you know, just basically watched two people work really hard. Life was more about survival. And so when I started my first business at 19, I had no money. I had no no college degree, no corporate background, and really no plan B. But I realized that college wasn't for me when I heard my business professor talking and I, I came up to him afterwards and I said, hey, like, you know, what business were you in? I was super excited and interested to hear. And he said, oh, I don't I don't have businesses. He said, I'm a, I'm a professor here. And even in my 18 year old brain, I couldn't quite <laughs> reconcile how on earth he's teaching me business who I want to go start a business and he, yet he's never had one. So it was kind of like this switch that flipped and I just decided to go out and do it on my own because my life's experience to that point, instead of learning sports or dance or things like most kids learn, we didn't have money for a babysitter or for any after school type of daycare. So yeah. I got dropped off at my dad's auto mechanic shop from the time I was five until I I was 16. So I was really learning about business. I was learning mm. how to interact with customers. I was, you know, typing on the typewriter, his invoices and answering the phones. I was learning how to drive when I was seven. So learning how to start a business at 19 didn't seem all that like a big deal. But I guess yeah. now looking back, it was kind of odd, especially for a female, because, you know, back then in the 90s, it was women, we kind of had the option to be a teacher or a nurse. You know, it was a yeah. very small, small area. Um, being a real estate investor at a young age, too, people would be like, like, who, who are you? Where's your husband? You know, where's your brother? You're it obviously can't be you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started, you know, with an SBA loan, uh, starting my first business, brick and mortar. You know, there's, there was no internet, learning how to market, learning how to advertise, learning how to balance payroll and lead teams um, when every single person I hired was older than me. Yeah. Um, it gave me a lot of experience and a lot of confidence to then really start wanting to diversify wealth and starting investing in real estate um, when I was 20. So I started my my first uh, flip, um, it was supposed to be a long-term hold that was $23,000. It was a foreclosure. And I realized that I hated being a landlord while I was trying to build businesses. So yeah. I, you know, that's what I love about real estate. There's so much flexibility and there's so many different verticals that you can be in. And it's important to try a bunch of things to really find out what you like, you yeah. know, because we can tell you the best strategies to build wealth. But if you hate your life, you're not going to be able to, you know, sustain it for very long. Yeah. So I think that that's a little bit about the journey and the story. And then obviously there's 25 years in there of, you know, building other businesses, exiting, you know, um, all sorts of things, writing a book, you name it. There's all sorts of stuff in there because it's just been a long time <laughs> of doing it. Yeah. So I've got a couple of questions. Um, uh, can you fix cars? Do you know how to like work on cars <laughs> or was that time in the, in your dad's shop? Was it well spent in terms of learning? 
it was well spent in terms of learning. Um, I don't know how to necessarily fix cars, but I do tend to know more than most guys in my circle about okay. cars. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that does come up, you know, when people are freaking out about something, I'm like, you know what? No, that's just when the, when, you know, it's cold weather outside, your tires tend to lose some air. So it's yeah. probably not an issue. Just filling up, keep driving. But, you know, so I do know not, but I, it was mainly in the, the entrepreneurship, you know, watching my dad yeah. struggle, yep. watching him not know what to do and having to figure it out because remember I was five, he was only 24. Mm -hmm. So he was really young. He had 200 bucks in his pocket when he got fired from his job. And he mm -hmm. has a four or five year old, you know, in a, in a wife that doesn't work to depend on him. And so he took a chance on starting a business and, you know, he it was, he was self-employed. He wasn't a business owner. And that was something that I noticed at a really young age that you're either self-employed or mm -hmm. you own a business. Yep. And there, most people don't realize there's, there's a difference. Yep. You know, most people think they're a business owner and an entrepreneur, but they're really self-employed. The moment they stop working, they stop making money. Well, that's not a business. That's a job. Yep, so totally. I learned that, that I wanted to, you know, build a business so I didn't have to continually trade time for money. And it's a job you can never really punch out, right? It's, if it's your business, exactly. you're, you're kind of stuck 24 seven. Yeah. I spent most of my, uh, I wouldn't say since five, but probably at about age eight until age 16, I spent in a garage most nights with my dad. Uh, oh. and I was holding a light and desperately bored and trying to get out of it. And so I spent all those years holding a light. I don't know anything about cars. You definitely know more about cars than I do, but I, I just didn't get anything <laughs> out of it. I was just, I didn't want to be there. So your first brick and mortar business, what was it? What was the business? I, start, I started wellness spas before they were like a thing back okay. in the late nineties. Okay. So the closest one around was like an hour and a half. So I was, we were doing salon services, massage therapy, body treatments, you know, this was before Botox and fillers and the med spa thing kind of came in. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I realized that people, when they know, like, and trust you, they also want recommendation of what to buy. And mm. so then I was like, well, why am I recommending someone else's products? Let me develop my own, you know, setting up manufacturing in China and doing our own products and a jewelry line, all other things kind oh of spawned gosh. off. And then just was investing in real estate because I read books. Like <laughs> I'm not educated, right? Like I don't have an MBA or some fancy letters. Like this is really just self-education reading books yeah. in my office that said, you got to diversify your income. So I just believed the guy that wrote the book and I started to diversify <laughs> my income and started investing in real estate. Right. I think we yeah. either, we learn that way. We learn from mentors or totally. mistake and the latter is a lot more expensive and timely. Just out of curiosity, how far did you get in college? You were in college. How far did you get? Weeks. Okay. So the interesting <laughs> thing is you didn't, you're saying you didn't have this degree and all this stuff, but what you also didn't have was any pre-built doubt. Like nobody had had a chance to put doubt in your head from outside. Right. And so sometimes the, I think the most, sometimes the most powerful thing you can have is ignorance. Yeah. That you maybe shouldn't be able to do it because you're young or you're, or you're a young girl, right? Specifically, um, I taught my daughter how to invest in real estate, how to flip houses. And for a while, I was helping her. I was kind of her partner. And what I soon realized, because I, I don't have this experience, but what she was starting to experience is contractors were trying to go around her to talk to me because they knew I was in the background, but I was also the ones cutting, I was the one cutting the checks. And so what I realized was, if they're ever going to listen to her, she's going to have to be the one writing the checks and, and they have to yeah. know that she's the one that's, you know, controlling the finances. So I know it's, it's again, we don't always realize when we don't walk in someone else's shoes, but um, it, it was very difficult for her to get them to listen to her and stop saying, 
let's get your dad on the phone. Let's talk to your dad or just coming straight to me. And, you know, yep. they were calling her things like kiddo, you know, <laughs> like these, these mm-hmm. contracts, like super insulting, but um, she got through it. So that's mm-hmm. super, that's awesome. You yeah. made a great point too about chasing something or building something that you don't like doing that kind of makes you miserable because I think people tend to start off chasing money and then they realize that the motivation of money is kind of like the energy that sugar gives you. It's short and it's, you can't sustain it. I mean, you have to keep, you know, finding something new to be motivated. So that's awesome. Let's, okay. You talked about the, the long-term rental that you wanted, you know, you want to have this long-term rental, but uh, how did that go? And then like I'm super excited to get into other industries too, but let's let's bring it back to real estate for a minute. What has your real estate journey been like? And are you still investing in real estate? Is it something you're still active in? Yeah, absolutely. So yes is the the short answer to that. And how the journey has been, it's really, you know, that first property I bought for $23,000. There's actually one prior to that, but it was one that I lived in. So okay. it was like my first reno. Yeah. Um, still, still put equity into it. Still cashed out really nice. Like but then hack. that- yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's what I always tell people. If someone's starting out, like the best way to start in real estate, rather than burning your first FHA loan on your dream home and putting yeah. 20% down, buy your first place, you know, buy a duplex, a triplex or a small quad apartment building, live in one of the units, rent out the others, live there for a year. And then when you move out, put someone in that spot and just rinse and repeat. It's a way that you don't have to leverage a ton of risk. Yep. You know, you don't, because you can always live there. You can stay there if it doesn't go as planned. Like there's so many different variables. That's what I love about real estate is the flexibility. Yep. Like, oh, I wanted to do a long-term hold. I hate it. Okay, well, can I Airbnb it? Cause it's in a college town or can I, okay, can I just wholesale this and give it to somebody else? Can I put it on the market? Can I move there, right? There's so many different options with it. So my journey has been from that first house what I realized was I loved the design process. I love managing the construction crew. I mm. loved having my own subs. And I did love the challenge of being able to manage that crew, even though they didn't expect much of me. The yeah. one benefit of being the girl that shows up that they don't think is the person running the job is they don't expect much of you. Mm-hmm. So you really don't have to do much to actually impress people yeah. <laughs> because the expectation is so low. So when they when they come in and they're trying to BS you about, you know, no, that's not the way electric, you know, electrical electrical needs to be run at that height. And I'm like, no, it is. It's to code. And here it is. Here's why you only have to do that a couple of times and people are like, oh shit, like she really knows her stuff. Like let's not challenge. But so for me, it was, I love that part. And so of course, long-term holds throughout the years was still something that I focused on because Mm -hmm. they're just smart to do. But what I love doing was the flipping process. Um, So I've done everywhere from those first 23,000, then I took it into 75,000. Then I went into 100,000. Then I went into two, because I didn't have someone to fall back on. So everything that I do in life, I have to be a little conservative so that because I depend on myself for money, right? Yeah. Like, so I need to make sure that I'm making moves with some assemblance of, uh, you know, risk adverse so that we're not taking too big of positions in something that all of a sudden now I have to, whatever, go get a job or start another business because it went, yeah. it went bad. And now I'm doing, you know, flips in the millions. So the last, last one I bought was um, 4.5 and needed a total gut. So, really? you know, I'm doing them the whole way up into high end luxury renovations. Yeah. Okay. So I, so, that was the, the most recent one I've done. Yeah. That's interesting. So when you were cutting your teeth though, on the, on the ones that you started the first half dozen or whatever, um, what, what year are we talking about here? Uh, 2000, 2000. First. Okay. What did 2008 from a real estate standpoint mean to you or do to you? How, how did you, how were you affected? 
So I was set up in a great position because I was making smart decisions conservatively, right? I wasn't mm -hmm. trying to go out and get, I think what happens now, what I've seen, right? From exiting my companies and actually doing this for so long and then coming into this world. Like I never built a personal brand. I never even wanted to build a personal brand. Like I was building the brands of businesses and companies. Yeah. When I kind of came on the whatever online scene you want to call it, I was like, oh my gosh, all these things that people are talking about about just leveraging debt and getting as many doors as possible. And all like that all works in really good times. But I know people <clears throat> that committed suicide in 2008. Yeah. Like I know people that lost everything and that still have jobs because they were debt leveraged so heavy in 2008 because they were trying to get their 300th door, yeah. you know, and maybe at the time I only had 20 doors, you know, or I had a small, but, but it was, it was a conservative way that I knew that if something bad happened, because winter always comes when we look at the data of any, of any type of market. Winter always comes. I love like, the Game of Thrones reference. That's great. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's easy. This is what I think yeah. people, especially if you have anyone listening that's newer, I just want to throw this. This is not going to be popular or sexy, but it's important to be said. Like what? It's really easy to make money when times are good. It's really easy to start to create wealth. It is really freaking hard to sustain it over 10, 20, 25, 30 years. That's where you really start to double down on your interest and on your dividends and on all your passive income is sustaining it through the winter times. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's what I saw was coming in. I thought I saw this world of everyone just trying to push everyone so hard but they weren't really like applying the wisdom of like, yeah. what does it actually take to sustain a time like 2008, yeah. you know? And so for me, I, I didn't get hurt. And so I was able to have cash liquid to buy down. And so, you know, maybe there's other people that made a ton more money before, but maybe some of those people lost. And so I don't try to time things. I just know that the boring, ordinary things over time applied and playing the long game will build you massive wealth. And it'll also have you sustain wealth over time. That's that's the way I look at real estate and investing in general. I love that. Are you still, you said you are flipping bigger houses. Yeah, what, I for, currently have Okay, one. two questions. Where, where are you doing this? Is it nationwide? Is it specific to one market? So I stick, again, I stick with what I know. Okay. Like, are there opportunities in other states? Sure. Yeah. Do I want to take the time and go do that research? For me, no. Yeah. Because I like my life the way it is. So it's like, why would I want to go learn some other market and have a little more risk? Cause there is more risk. If you're going to go into an area that you don't know, you mm -hmm. need to get all new, all new subs. You need to get all new people to work with. You yep. need to get an agent that you really trust, like attorneys, like all of the, like, you know, I, I have in Pennsylvania, I have estate attorneys that'll reach out if there's a situation, if there's a fire sale and a divorce, who they call in that has cash. Like when you get that nucleus of people around you, you're able to get deals more quickly and off market so that you can move with speed. Yeah. And speed, of, as you know, no matter if it's business or investing, the faster that you can move with speed and totally. be decisive, that's who's going to win the game. <clears throat> yep. So I stick with Arizona and Pennsylvania because those are the markets that I know. Um, Florida have kind of dabbled, but still haven't really gone all in because I don't fully know, especially after COVID, what's going to happen in that market, Yeah. right? It, yep. it could go either way. There's sm super smart people, way smarter than I, and economists that say that there's going to be a pullback. There's other people on the other side, and there's valid points of why it's not. Yep. We don't know. So I just stick with what I know. Totally love that. So let me ask you a, a question here then, because everything you've told me so far is very consistent. And and 
the question I'm going to ask you, I know you have an answer for it, but I'm curious because it seems inconsistent in a way. So when times are great, buying multi-million dollar properties is probably relatively safe. When the market shifts and you're holding on to, you're in the mid rehab of a $3 million, $4 million property, it's a full gut. Isn't that kind of risky? Because the buyer pool is small. Why go that big when markets do kind of go up and down? Why not stay in that median you know, house range where everyone's buying? Yeah. So for a newer investor, I would not recommend. So I don't even normally like to talk about what I'm doing now because yeah. I don't want someone to think that that's smart for them. Like I would never suggest somebody doing this. Okay. I just know the market that I'm playing in right now so well. Yeah. And I know the amount of people that are moving in. I know what they're looking for and I know what I bought it for. And yeah. I know what like my reno, like I just have it down so well that I don't, it's not risky for me. Gotcha. I also know that if for some reason something got tripped up it's gonna be an amazing house i'll live in it <laughs> like yeah. so it's not you know like so but most yeah. people don't have that ability or flexibility to yeah. just live yeah. in what's going to be a post reno six and a half million dollar home yeah. so that's why it's not a good suggestion for anyone if anyone listening if you haven't been doing this for 20 25 years you absolutely should be playing in this below median house range that's what i would be doing now if i wanted to go out and build a bunch of wealth in 2023 is i that's the that's the issue issue those, those that subset of the market is what's going to have the biggest issue right yeah. because why we all know this i'm sure you've talked about this we got our country throwing in trillions of dollars of of money just into everybody's hands people that most often don't know how to you know, invest that money. They don't know how to manage that money. So the, what do they do? They go spend it or they go buy a house. that's a little too big for them. Now we have some unsettling in the job markets. We've got massive layoffs, right? We have all this uncertainty. Now people can't make their mortgages. Who isn't going to make the mortgages? The double families that are trying to make, and it's going to be under that $400,000 median house range. Yep. So anyone that was getting into real estate now, that's 100% the lane I would suggest that you play in. Do not get into high-end luxury flips yeah. whatsoever. And I do think that because of inflation and where the economy is going, there's going to be an even greater need for long-term holds. So I think that this yeah. Air, and this is, again, my opinion, unsolicited, but like I think this Airbnb market... I think there's a lot of volatility. I think there's a lot of oversaturation in certain areas. It's not true passive income. Of course, it does give you better rents and higher uh, revenue annually when it goes well. But yeah. when everyone starts to show up on the market, now all of a sudden you have more vacancies. You may want to consider long-term holds because what's going to happen to all these people that lose their homes? They're going to yeah. have to rent. Yep. So I think that market is only going to get pushed up throughout this next year, probably two or three years. Um, and I think that it's going to get harder for investors to go in single investors and buy properties because I think these larger corporations like um, there's a couple corporations that just formed together. They pulled a hundred billion dollars together and they're, they're going to buy a bunch of real estate, single family homes, long-term, yeah. you know, multifamily units. So I think it's going to get harder as time goes on and these larger corporations start to buy up more assets. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. And thanks for clarifying the, uh, I, I wasn't trying to necessarily trip you up. I, I knew you had a good answer for it and I'm glad we, we discussed it because I don't, the last yeah. thing I want is for people to hear this and go, Oh, um, she's doing it. 
I'm going to go out and build a million dollar, you know, buy a million dollar house. I don't think it's good either. So just to be clear, if you move to Utah tomorrow and said, this is my new market, you wouldn't go out and look for your first $4 million property. Never. No. If I moved to Utah tomorrow, the very first thing I would be looking for, if I'm single family, which I wouldn't be if I moved to Utah, if I moved to Utah tomorrow, number one, I'd be doing my research. I would know the market better than any other player. I would know the people in the space better than any other player. I would talk to other real estate investors. Like that's how, this is why I love real estate guys, because like in, in portfolio income, right? Any of these stocks we want to buy, we can't get insider trading information legally, yeah, right? Yeah, but in yeah. real estate, we get to get all of this insider information. Yeah, like totally. I would be reaching, I'd be like, Mike, you're in Utah. What's going on there? Like I'd start having conversations and then I would probably, assuming I would probably be looking at multifamily units and I would, or if I was doing single family, it would a hundred percent be in the areas that's going to have the most volatility and pullback. And that's going to be under median in my opinion. Yep, totally. And I'm not from Utah, I'm from Michigan. I was just throwing a random okay. state out there. But um, yeah, totally get it. Makes makes a lot of sense. So you have had so many businesses have, I, I don't even know how many you have now, but so I, I know what it's like to kind of be involved in a lot. How do you manage that? Like, how do you not just run around crazy? What sort of like life hacks or productivity um, strategies do you use in your in your life? Well, in transparency, I do. There have been many years that I've run around crazy. Okay. Um, but my whole goal Honesty, was, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you don't run multiple businesses with, you know, 40 employees and like all these different things yeah. without being pulled in a million directions. Number one, I love it. Like I love entrepreneurship. I love investing. I love being pulled in a million directions. So it's not some people it's exhausting or heavy. Like I get jazzed up by it. Yeah. So one, it's the way I'm wired, right? Number two, it's freaking discipline. Like it is absolute discipline to be focused on what your goals are and what you want to achieve more than the shiny object that comes along. And this is where I see not just investors, but just people in general really kind of mess up in life. Like we're so focused, especially now and, you know, these latest years, like we're so focused on the the latest shiny short-term gratification. Most people aren't willing to go head down and focus and play the long game for 20 years. Yeah. But my question is, and this is what I asked myself, like I always, I'm obsessed on, on two questions. One is, does this decision take me closer to or further away from my ultimate mission goal, purpose, you unplug the word for you, like whatever that is for you. But does this decision take me closer to that or further away? Yeah. And then whatever the answer is, it's being disciplined enough to, if you have to say no to something now so that you can say yes to more later, like do it. Yeah. Like that's the other question. Like for anyone listening, what are you willing to give up now so that you can do more, have more, you know, bless more people, do more things, have more time with your family later. Mm-hmm. And I think most people aren't willing to do that. And that's why they have mediocre lives. They have mediocre net worth, you know, they yeah. have mediocre existence. So to me, it's discipline. And then I also do, um, I have this thing, I, it's called the productivity grid I created it. I didn't even, I just gave it a name recently because people kept asking me what to call it. I'm like, let's call this. (laughs) But it's really like, kind of like a, almost like a tic-tac-toe board that I draw 
And so whatever businesses that I have, whatever projects that I'm managing, I have a grid on a sheet of paper every single day. And I focus on what are the three things that are going to move this project, this business, this urgent, like what are the three things in each of these areas do I have to do in order to move this forward? Because if we aren't disciplined in our focus and what we need to do next, we will then get distracted by what I call non-urgent non-important things, right? It's kind of like the things that come at us and they're all of a sudden urgent in the moment, but they're not important in the overall goal that we need to achieve. And so I think it's being disciplined in both of those and really knowing what moves the needle. And I'll tell you the other one is this, this phone is upside down on silent all the time. Yeah. I only flip it over. Like right now I flip it over. There's a bazillion texts on there. I won't even know that. Right. <laughs> yeah, until yeah. I choose, like, I don't let the phone come into my life. I choose when I want to use it. And I think oftentimes we are allowing social media and our devices to consume yeah. our time instead of us using it for what we need to use it for. Yep. Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's awesome that, that you have that. Can I, I I don't want to put words in your mouth. My guess is that your days are not exactly the same every single day because you're an entrepreneur. But can you tell me like maybe your morning and evening routines? Like how do you handle the the beginning of the day and the end of the day? I'm not the, the, the middle I'm sure can be a lot of things, but people tend to have similar routines at the beginning and end of their day. What does yours look like? So I have a little thing every single day of my life that before I always say it, um, before my feet hit the floor, I find five things I'm grateful for. So before I get out of bed, as soon as my eyes open, like my feet will not hit the floor until I go through. And some days, you know, we all wake up and we've got like, even though we've got the most amazing house and great health, like sometimes we just wake up and, oh, what am I going to be grateful for? I got to go do this thing or I have to go do this, right? And so it might only be the, you know, clean blankets on top of me or the sun shining in my window or whatever. But I always find five things because the greatest way to shift our minds from pain to pleasure or pain to happiness is to really shift it to gratitude because our brains are not wired to process happiness and pain at the same time. And it can't process gratitude and pain at the same time. So for me, that's, that's, again, it's a choice. We could wallow any of us have the ability to whatever happened in your life or whatever happened today, you probably yeah. have a reason that you can wallow. I just choose not to stay there. Yeah. If something happens that I'm upset or I'm frustrated, I'll give myself five minutes. I like literally will watch it and I'll be like, okay, you get to you know gripe about this for five minutes and now we need to move on yeah. because this isn't going to affect your life in the next one, five or 10 years. So yeah. don't spend more than five minutes on it. So I start with gratitude. Then immediately I get I get sunshine and coffee. So that's like <laughs> right out of the gate, two, yeah. of the, two of the things. Now, I know a lot of people um, don't touch their phone for the first 30 minutes. I actually have a different, very different. And I don't know that I would recommend this, but this is what works for me. And I'm just being honest. Okay. I actually okay. do when I'm when I am checking my coffee after I do my gratitude and I set my intention and I look at my productivity grid of what I need to do. I actually get into my phone because I have I will get anxiety, not anxiety. That's terrible because I don't have anxiety. I'll get stressed if there's things that like I just know we're sitting on there. But if I just go through, I give myself 15 minutes, I go through and make sure that a pipe didn't break somewhere, a roof didn't cave in, right? Because I'm in different states. So I try to just see no, nothing urgent. My dad has a heart condition. I like to make sure he's okay. Like, so Mm -hmm. I just check in 
and then that's it. And then it is upside down and on silent. And then I get into the productivity grid of what I need to move forward. So I may go into email if I am waiting on something, but my text messages and my missed calls, because my phone is on silent all through the night, I just like to check it and make sure my world's okay. And then I go head down throughout my day. Love it. What what time do you start? By the way, what time does your day typically, like you start working, the coffee's done, sunshine, you start actually digging in. What time is it usually? Um, it's in the five. So I always say in the five. So I have to start before it's like 5.59, before it's 6 a.m. You've got to so, be kidding me. You start working at somewhere in the fives? Yeah. So wow. I like to be done with my routine, my process, wow. kind of like ready to start in the fives is what I, and just I, like, I like to go to bed in the nines. Okay. All <laughs> so right. that's what like my little routine is. Love it. All Doesn't right. always happen, but that's what I okay. try. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So with the evenings, how does that work out usually for you? When do you usually stop working? Do you have like a cutoff? Like I don't work past this or how does it normally look? No. So again, not that I'm recommending this to that's anybody, right. but, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't like, I do try again with the phone specifically and devices and social, like I won't do that the last, but if, but if I'm working on it, I'll go until like my head starts bobbing and I'm tired. Okay. But as far as, see, I don't consume things. Like I don't scroll on social or I don't do. So yeah. um, I don't have to like cut it off because I'm already not doing it. Yeah. So to me, if I'm working on something and I, I'm i like lit up and I know that I can keep going, I will just continue to work until I feel that my body, like I just, yeah. I, I'm more in tune with my body than having these super rigid routines. I yeah. don't do well in, in rigidity. I don't so either. I don't think that's a word, but. <laughs> no, you made it up. It's okay. Rigidity. Okay, you don't do good rigidity. <laughs> that's awesome. But, yeah. And then you go to bed in the nines sometime. sometime I try to. Nines. Yeah. Never pass. I would say unless I'm doing something, but I, always in the tens, never pass that. Yeah. Love it. I love it. That's awesome. And I love the honesty. I, and I like, I, I'm always uh, super amazed and I kind of admire and I'm a little jealous of people who get up as early as you do and get ready to go. Um, I don't, I like the miracle morning, you know, you know, that is like, Mm -hmm. like I am not, I am the, so not miracle morning. That would be my book. The so not miracle morning. I I do have a routine, but I see, I, I am more of a night person. So I know my, my rhythms and my body too. And if I'm lit up, I work too, but sometimes that goes until one or two in the morning. Yeah. And then I sleep until, (laughs) you know, eight or nine. So, and I don't usually get started until like 10 or 11 for me. So I'm, I'm like clocked a little bit differently, but I just find the night to be so peaceful and my head is clear and I feel productive a lot of times and inspired to work, which is super weird. I know most people are like, that's insane that you're working at midnight. No, I I like it. Honestly, until I exited my last company in 2019, I had a very similar, not quite that late, like it would still be like eights, but I would, it would be more like in the eights that I would get going, but then I would always be until at least midnight. And it wasn't until I kind of like got out of all of the chaos, like my life is nowhere near as chaotic as it was, that it was almost like my body truly just started shifting. So I don't know if it's between that and age, but like it really started shifting to that. And it was also a choice. I'll tell you what, like, I truly believe anyone listening, whether you want to get up early or you want to stay up later, like Mike does, it's a like we literally can train our bodies and our minds to do whatever we want. And that was something that I would meditate on every single night before I go to bed, that I get up, I get up 
inspired and, and ready to go early every morning by 5 a.m. Yeah. I would recite that. I did it for months before it actually became who I was. Now that's why I'm up. So I just want to share that only because number one, that wasn't the way I always was. Um, so you can do it exactly, you know, a different way. But then yeah. two, if you do want to change, you can actually make your make your mind help you get to, you know, change that way. Totally. I think that rather than what time you go to bed and wake up, as long as you're getting enough hours, I don't think it's the times. I think it's the consistency. If you go to bed at one in the morning, go to bed at one in the morning, sleep till eight, whatever you're doing, but don't go to bed at nine and then at one and then at 10 and then at two and then at nine again. I think that's where some of the unhealthiness comes in because I did yeah. study a little bit. I got concerned that I was staying up too late and maybe that was a problem, but I don't think it is. I think as long as you, your body gets in a rhythm and consistently knows what you're going to do and you're getting enough sleep, obviously. The people yeah. who go to bed at two and wake up at five, they're clearly not doing something good for themselves. And despite how much right. they swear they can be productive on four hours sleep, I don't believe it. Um, okay, but let's shift gears a little bit. You mentioned earlier on that you wrote a book. Uh, it's called Wealth Habits, Six Ordinary Steps to Achieve Extraordinary Financial Freedom. What I wrote a book too. It's right there. Um, awesome. I know what's involved. Uh, and if unless you love writing and editing, it's grueling. So what possessed you to write it and how was that process and why did you write it? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So I really didn't want to write a book again. <laughs> All right. Like so far, so we're the same. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but I, you know, one conversation with someone led to one Zoom call with the publisher and then I got a direct pitch to write a book. And I was like, you know what? This has popped up. Like it had kept pop. People kept saying, you need to write a book. Like, you know, all this wisdom that you have. And so I, I kept hearing it. And so I was like, all right how hard can it be? Right. I've built businesses when I was 19. No, but like, this can't be that hard. Exactly. So, but woo, you know, it's uh it's a different kind of hard, right? Yeah. It's, and yeah. it's anything that you do new. And that's why people that are listening now, if you're kind of new to real estate investing and you're listening to somebody else further on their journey, like anything that you do new is unknown. And so mm -hmm. you just have to have like the keys to the kingdom for me of doing anything is you just have to have a little bit more courage than you have fear. Like oh, you just have to have a little bit more faith in your ability to figure it out than your fear that you can't. Yeah. And so anything that I've done in life, it's a little bit, like you said, naiveness, but it's also been at least late. I mean, lately in the beginning, the very first one, I just had enough courage because we always have proof around us. Like we may hear people say why we can't do something or that's, you know, that how, who do you think you are? You shouldn't do that. But there's also proof of other people that have done it with a similar background or similar resources or maybe even a worse you know circumstance in life than you yeah. currently have so there's always proof and so when i was writing the book i was like well wait a minute this can't be that hard because let me look back at what i've actually done in my life yep. right yep. i came out of poverty i survived abuse as a child i built my first like i built my second i built my third like i've done all of these properties i'm doing millions in in real estate now like this can't be that hard. So let me just have a little more courage than fear. Yeah. And so I just started doing the same things I've done in everything. Who can I talk to? Who can I ask? Who has done this? What makes sense? And I had about um, 19 full days to write the whole book. But, and a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, 19 days. But wow. I've been doing it for 20 plus years. Yeah. So all I had to do 
all, I mean, all I had to do, it's not easy to write a book, but all I had to do really was take out what I've done and try to teach it in a way that most people can apply it. Yeah. And that's why it's like the no BS playbook because I'm not a super, you know, well-spoken or written person. It's just like here, if you actually want to build wealth, here's the boring, ordinary thing that regardless of your circumstances or your background or the family that you came from, if you just do these things yeah. and can do them consistently, you'll get there. Like, there's nothing about wealth that's like secretive or elusive. Like I always say, I didn't, you know, charter a Rover to Pluto or create an electric car. Like everything I've done has been super just normal stuff, yep. but most people won't make the decision and have the discipline to do it over the long term. But if you do, it's available for everyone. And that's what I love. You know, I always say too about the book, like you shared, if you just want to make a bunch of money, I promise you, you will miss the entire point of building wealth. Like yep. building wealth is so that you can have freedom, time, that you can do what you want, when you want, as often as you want. Like that's what wealth's all about. It's who you can give. It's like who you can bless, what you can yeah. contribute to, yep. you know? And that's why I started a foundation when I was 26 in order to give back. Cause I think that's why we're all truly here is to make a difference, not just make a bunch of money. So cool. If people want the book, uh, I was on your website and I see that you're giving away some stuff if they order through the website and yep. do some things. Is that what you'd recommend? Go to Amazon, go to your website. What would be the best way for people to, to find this? Yeah, you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You buy it. You just upload a little copy of the receipt. And we have a cool, just a couple bonuses and stuff for people if they do that. Um, they'll get access to um, a three-hour workshop that I did with all of the data from 40 years, yep. um, all of the research. I mean, it, it was a really powerful workshop um, that you get as well just for uh, buying the book wherever it's sold. Okay. Well, guys, definitely go and buy the book. Uh, it's called Wealth Habits. And if you go to uh, Candy's website, it's candyvalentino.com. Uh, go there and you can see how to redeem that for some of the things she just talked about that you can get in addition to the book. Totally awesome, Candy. I could talk to you all day. You're really fun to talk to. I've interviewed, boy, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, you're you're refreshingly transparent and just very easy to talk to. And I, I can see why you're very successful because uh, it's just easy and fun to talk to you and, and you're very inspiring. So thanks for doing this. Um, thanks for being here. I'm, I'm super honored like I was in the beginning. I'm still honored to have you. So thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. We'll see you next time. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on in the future and see how things are going. Thanks a lot. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I had a lot of fun doing it. I, I think she's awesome. Just an inspiring person. Very straightforward. You know, you can kind of tell when someone is giving you an answer that sort of they've repeated a million times. Uh, just such a genuine person who has had such an incredible, incredible career so far. Uh, somebody to learn from for sure. Go and check her out at candyvalentino.com. You can check the show notes for the spelling of that, but it's C-A-N-D-Y. Valentino, spelled exactly how it sounds. Go check it out. Grab her book and uh, get into her world because I think there's a lot to be learned uh, from someone like Candy. She was awesome. All right, guys, that's it for today. We'll see you next time.